1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: Return after your sister-in-law. So she says, you know, she's come back to her God, so you go with her. But Ruth said, watch this play out. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. I can
1: see the promised land Though there's pain
0: within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every giant will fall The mountains will move
1: Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the broadcast. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, Pastor Keith will be taking us through a series on the providence of God, where we'll be making stops in the book of Ruth, in the Psalms, and also in the book of Job. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the book of Ruth. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
2: Now, we begin the study of Ruth. And, you know, this is a... I don't know if you've ever heard Ruth preached, if you've ever read the book of Ruth. I hope you have in both ways. But Ruth is an encouraging book of the Bible. It shows how, not to be glib, uh, that God makes lemonade out of our lemons. Because what you have in the book of Ruth as a family, engaging in, I don't want to use the word horrendous, but I would say significant sin, suffering the consequences, and God reaching down and reaching into the aftermath and bringing about a glorious thing. Because, you know, it says in God's word that he's a husband to the widow, a father to the orphans, and you see that in the book of Ruth. Ruth brings this to life for us in 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 three-dimensional 5K color. And what we see in the book of Ruth is that we are never beyond the reach of God and that God never turns his back on his people. In Ruth, we see a sovereign and gracious God taking the wreckage of sin and doing something beautiful with it if we pay attention. Ruth is an exciting book and we'll take it a chapter at a time. And and I, I just hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Somebody once said that a coincidence is a miracle where God chooses to remain anonymous. And, you know, that's sort of true. We use the word coincidence. There is no such thing as coincidence. There is no such thing as luck. There is no such thing as randomness in the universe. What we have in the book of Ruth is providence. The providence and sovereignty of God bringing about his will. And the amazing thing about this is this. Ruth... And Naomi Never really understand Kind of like Job What's going on in the immediate future In their lives But what we see is That God is going to redeem them He's going to restore them He's going to bless them Through them Through them He's going to bless Israel And through them He is going to And has already With some of you Blessed you with your salvation because Naomi is the grandmother a great-grandmother of uh, of King David and through King David comes the line of the Messiah and so this is an important important book for all of us and we The takeaways here are innumerable, incalculable, and absolutely wonderful. So let's get started. Background-wise, Ruth takes place during the time of the judges. And in her case, around about 1,000 B.C., give or take 10 years in either direction. Ruth covers 10 to 12 years in the life of a family where the men and the mother sin against God. And the results are, as sin always has, collateral damage. Uh, The the mother, the wife, is left without resources, without children or grandchildren, and her daughters-in-law are widowed. And despite their sin and the collateral damage it does, God provides for the widows, the nation of Israel, and us. Now, no one knows who wrote the book of Ruth. There are all kinds of theories about that. But they're just theories. And as we talked about when we studied the book of Revelation, we're not really interested in bright, shiny objects that aren't necessarily relevant to what we're looking at here. And so, who knows? The Holy Spirit, of course, inspired it. Ruth, thematically speaking, is a surprisingly theological book. A lot of times we look at Old Testament narratives and people take Old Testament narratives and do terrible things with them. But Ruth is an Old Testament narrative that is just loaded with theology. That Ruth is a Moabitess, that sounds like a disease, I know. That's a a woman from Moab. That Ruth is a Moabitess not only illustrates God's redemptive plan extends beyond Israel to the Gentiles, to the whole world, but Ruth also shows that women are co-heirs with men in the salvation, grace, and larger redemptive plan Of God and His unfolding drama of redemption. Ruth personifies the Proverbs 31 woman. And if you take time to read Proverbs 31 and you look at Ruth in this book, and if you do any background studies, you'll learn that scholars believe that Solomon had his great great grandmother in mind when he wrote Proverbs 31 uh, 10 through 31. I want to say to you again and again that Ruth demonstrates for us that God's providential and sovereign provision is there, not just for the big people in the Bible, you might say, not just for the the kings, not just for the prophets, but for everyday, average, seemingly unimportant people living apparently insignificant lives, which later proved to be monumentally crucial to God's redemptive plan. We, We always have to remember, in your life, when you suffer hardship, heartbreak, illness, whatever it is, that the picture is always bigger than you think it is. That's why you hear me saying that you were raised up for such a time as this and God has entrusted you with your piece of redemptive real estate in his unfolding drama of redemption in this larger landscape of God's kingdom work because you don't know what your child is going to do what your grandchild is going to do what your neighbor is going to do because of what you do and how you live and how you work out your salvation with fear and trembling knowing that it's God working in you to will and to work his good pleasure you just don't know and to that end we remember that Ruth shows up in Matthew and the genealogy of Jesus Christ speaking of theology there's Boaz who's he? He is the man who's going to redeem and marry Ruth. He's called a goel. In Israel, that's a kinsman redeemer. A a what? A kinsman redeemer. What is that? It's somebody who is related or connected to you who buys you back or who rescues you, who is by Israeli law, by Israelitish law, by the law of Moses, a designee to redeem you. And so Boaz pictures Christ in the book of Ruth. There's some Christology there. And that's why we have this title, because there's so much good stuff that goes on there. There's so much amazing grace that goes on there that you need to remember this, that no matter how difficult the era in which you live, no matter how difficult the situation in which you suffer that God is there. He's aware of your hardship. He's in the trial. He is in the storm. And you'll see all of this play out in the book of Ruth. You know what the book of Ruth also tells us? That little has changed since 1000 BC. Humanity hasn't changed much except maybe they've lost a little brain power because they can't build pyramids anymore, right? They did it without computers way back when, of course. But all that's changed since Ruth for the human race is the technology. The human condition is unchanged. People are still sinners. They still do, I think the theological term is dumb things, sin against a holy God. And you see that in Ruth. Ruth, the, the, the first sentence of Ruth sets the table for all that's going on. In Ruth 1.1 we read, in the days when the judges ruled, Ruth takes place during the time of the judges, a time of great upheaval, a time of chaos, a time of existential threat to the Jewish nation, to the Jewish people. It's a time of godlessness, of idolatry, of amazing violence and and perversion and murder. And here we have these common everyday people trying to survive in this landscape. And in the time of Judges, as it is in many Christian families and in many Christian churches today, the time of Judges comes after the exodus and it comes after Joshua. And what happens is the generation that sort of won the war, it's kind of like World War II here, the generation that saved the day, that witnessed all the great miracles, raised children... Who raised children, as it says in the book of Judges in Judges 2, 6 through 10, they raised up a generation who knew not the Lord. That's the time of Judges. This is when all this is taking place. And the result of that, when you think of the book of Judges, is found in the epitaph to the book of Judges. Judges twenty one twenty five. everyone did what was right in their own sight. That is the milieu in which all this is going on, Sadly time of no leadership a time of ethical compromise of moral compromise of moral relativism of perversion a time where a society has turned its back on God each man doing what's right in his own sight like today that's why Ruth is so important and in the face of these existential threats from the surrounding nations, Israel pr- prosecutes a civil war and almost wipes out one of the 12 tribes engaging in fratricide. Tension, infighting, Ruth takes place in this environment. So with that said, let's get into the text. I'm going to read, turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to read uh, all of chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Famine is often associated with sin and and discipline. So this is the time of judges. God's trying to get their attention. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. All right, you're gonna see they keep emphasizing a man of Bethlehem in Judah because this is being written after the fact. And it's a cautionary tale to the reader that this man has left Bethlehem and Judah Bethlehem means house of bread and he goes to sojourn in the country of Moab in other words he's just going to go there for a little while till things calm down Moab is the last place he should have gone but he took him and his wife and his two sons it says the name of the man there's some irony here was Elimelech and the name of his wife was Naomi the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. He keeps driving that point home. And now he's saying there are Ephrathites. You know, later on in Micah, it will say, it will talk about the Messiah, oh, you know, uh, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. that's what's going on here. So these people are leaving a place they should never have left. The man's name, Elimelech, means God is king or God is my king. His wife's name means uh, gentle. Anyway, it says they went there. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. Now, the language here in the Hebrew goes beyond uh, just visiting for a while until things calm down to settling there. So they've left the land of promise. They've left the land of the, that God gave them. They've left the land of the covenant. And they've gone to a place that they should not go. An enemy of Israel... And they've now settled there. They set up shop. Kind of like Lot, you know, moving outside the uh, gates of Sodom. Verse three, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. That's a tragedy. But she had her two sons. These took Moabite wives. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other was Ruth. Ruth. So they married outside the faith. They married outside the nation of Israel, which was strictly forbidden in the law. But you see people do that today, right? A believer will marry an unbeliever, kind of like missionary dating, thinking they're going to change him or whatever. It's a fool's errand, but people still do it, right? So they took Moabite wives. They lived there about 10 years. So if there's any doubt that God and Israel is in the rearview mirror and irrelevant to them, They married Moabite wives and they've been there now for 10 years. 10 years is usually, this is uh, uh, usually the time at which people start raising children. And verse 5, both Malon and Chilean died so that the woman, the woman, I'm sorry, was left without her two sons and her husband. So these people abandoned God. They uh, left their ancestral lands, the land that God gave them and they sinned and we know of course the wages of sin is death God took the life of all the men Ruth 1.6 then she Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab for because she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people Israel and given them food so word comes to her that things are better in Israel and that's where her, her extended family is. So what does she do? She heads home. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go, return each one of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each one of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Now, what do you see here? This is not the proverbial mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship, right? She loved them, they loved her. She's given them their freedom. You're free to go remarry. Find a husband. Go back into your land. You know, and the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord of Israel, bless you. Now, you know, she's got good intentions here, but me? I would have brought them with me into the land of the one, the true, and the only God. But anyway, here's that. And so it says in verse 10, and they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, Even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? Mm -hmm. No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So she understands that she is under the chastisement of God and that their widowhood is part of the collateral damage says then they lifted up their voices and wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law which is to say kissed her goodbye but Ruth clung to her and she Naomi said see your your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods return after your sister-in-law so she said she's gone back to her gods you go with her but Ruth said watch this play out Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. And this is kind of weird. Watch this play out. Do not miss the significance of what's coming up next. May the Lord, may Yahweh, may the Lord do to me And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Now, notice what she didn't say. May the Lord your God, may your God, may the God of Israel. She speaks as if he's her God, that she's looking to him. May Yahweh do to me more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Verse 18, now, and when Naomi saw that she determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town, the whole town was stirred up because of them. Now Bethlehem was then, and is even now, if you've ever seen it, it's a small town. This is a big deal. This woman is returning from Moab. Moab. And, she, and the women said, is this Naomi? Obviously, her appearance had changed. She was probably worn down through everything. Probably tired from the 85-mile journey from, uh, on foot from Moab to Bethlehem. Is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Do not call me gentle. Call me bitter. Call me Mara for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Now, here's the irony. I went away full. Well, they left because of the famine. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Now, there is an irony there, and there's something not to be missed. She went, went away full. She's come back. Who brought her back? Who brought her back into the land of promise? The Lord. God is working in her life. Right now, she's all tied up in knots, She can't see straight, but she will eventually. So she says, "Why call me Naomi?" And she gets this right when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. When you when you sin, when you turn your back on God, don't expect good things. Don't expect peace, right? But now we come to the payoff verse in the entire chapter, verse twenty-two. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, that title is going to show up, Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabitess, because that makes her kind of radioactive to the people around her. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Make a mental note of that statement. So what I'd like to do as we set up the rest of this study is just derive and distill three lessons from what we've just read so that you can apply it in your own life, so that you can have hope in hellish times, so that you can find peace in the storm, so that you can know that you're never, ever alone, but that you could also, as it says, work out your salvation, live out your salvation with fear and trembling. Or as it says later in Peter, you know, during your time of exile, fear God and obey him. In Peter's epistle and the first lesson that we learn here is this people make mistakes people sin people make mistakes people sin more often than not we confuse one of these for the other we call sin a mistake and certainly it is a mistake to sin it's a fool's errand it's a bad idea but we have to be very careful here because sin is sin and God does not bless sin
1: 4782 And you can connect with us on our website which is org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live Radio program is a listener supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website org